Open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 19. The title of these messages is in the form of a question that's not completed. The question is, have you? And then we're adding something on the end of have you to form a question. We started out with, have you been born again? Have you been born again? Next question was, have you been water baptized? And our attempt is to show you from Scripture what the new birth is and what water baptism is and why both are necessary and why both are important. And then thirdly, the third question we ask in this series, that was two messages ago, was have you received the Holy Spirit? It's an interesting question. It's an interesting topic. And I think that a lot of people who discuss it amongst themselves don't really know a lot of Scripture about it, but there are usually a lot of opinions about it. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Now, in Acts chapter 19, where I ask you to turn, it was such a big deal in the early church. Two things were very prominent in the early church with salvation, that is, with the new birth. Two things. One, they were always baptized in water right away. There was no waiting till Easter morning. They got baptized right away. That's what you did. And secondly, once you were baptized, you were filled with the Spirit. That was the next thing that they did. This is a subject that you should be good at because it, this question will come up. If you live this life and you talk to enough people, the answer you're going to give to a lot of people about their needs and their problems is you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they will eventually say, is that all you can talk about? And they say, right now, yes. Because you see, Jesus said, I'm going to the Father and send the Holy Spirit to you. Now, when he comes, he will do certain things. And if he doesn't come, then those things don't happen. Those things will happen to those who receive him. And not all believers, not all church-going people have received this. They've, many of them have picked up a virus along the way in some of those churches they've been in and places of worship they grew up in, and they have been actually inoculated against the Holy Spirit. They have been told that, well, you got all of that, whatever that means, but you got all of that when you got saved. And then all that's left for us to do now is just have church, do good things, be nice and kind, help people out. And when you go to heaven, God will see the better of you. And when you die, he'll let you in heaven. Nothing to it. And yet Jesus said the way that leads to life is narrow. He said there's only a few that will find it. Because everybody that does what God wants, that lives on Jesus' terms, when you live the way he wants you to, it'll cost you. And this business about the Holy Spirit was so important that again, like in Acts chapter 8, when they had a revival at Samaria, a lot of people received the word of God. They never heard it with the unction of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And they gave this to them and Philip was preaching there and the Bible said they heard the word, they believed the word, they gladly received the word and they were baptized. And then when that message got back to Jerusalem, the apostles heard about it and they sent Peter and John down to pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for as yet, the Bible says, he was fallen on none of them. They had only received the word of God and been baptized, which is what salvation is. 
See, God's gift to the sinner is Jesus Christ. God's gift to the saint is the Holy Spirit. And you got to have both if you want to live an effective life in this world. Christians live so far below the level that God has given them as a stand. They live so far below that they can't understand it. But how could you without the Holy Spirit? Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he guides you into all truth. He is the spirit of wisdom and revelation that the church needs, that Paul prayed in Ephesians 1 that they would have. How can you advance or grow spiritually unless the Holy Spirit is conducting this trip? And he's not conducting the trip simply because the Holy Spirit has been sent to this world. Because that blessing of being guided by the Holy Spirit is for those who have received him. Now, for years, we've tiptoed around. We've been carefully guarding our words on how we talk about this so as not to offend people. And I look back over 30 years of not saying what I believe it says. I'm not talking about you, but I'm talking about in Christian, and people are just as dead now as they were then. Still haven't had their eyes open. They go to church, and they'll fight you about their church membership, but their life is destitute. There's no power in it. Jesus said... Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you stay where you are. Acts 1 and 8, Jesus said for his disciples to stay in the city of Jerusalem. He said this in Luke chapter 29. He said, tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until I send the promise of my Father upon you. Jesus said by the same author, Luke wrote Acts. And in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the same setting, the same time. He said, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, a lot of folks say, well, they must have gotten saved on the day of Pentecost. Well, actually, it happened before that. Can I take a side journey here? Put your finger wherever in Acts 19 and turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Jesus said to his disciples, you tarry ye in the city until what? Luke 24, he said, until the Holy Ghost comes. And he said in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Did y'all know that? Okay, are you in John yet? Good. Now, while you're in John, you got your finger in Acts also? I borrow one more finger and go look at Acts chapter 1. Look at that right now. I'm no hurry. If we do 15 meetings on this, that'll be fine with me. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but you, who's he talking to? You who? Who is you? <laughs> who is you? His disciples. He said, you shall receive power, dunamis, dynamite. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Had he come upon them yet? So you agree to that. All right, now hold that right there and go to John chapter 20. And verse 22, John chapter 20 and verse 22. Now, Jesus in his resurrected body has been raised from the dead and now appears to his disciples. Is he in a glorified state? Jesus is not in the body he once was in. It looks the same, but it's different now. He can pass through walls and disappear and all of that. All right, now listen to this. 
After his resurrection, he appeared to his disciples, showed them who he was. Look at the hole of my side. Look at the palms of my hand. And he said this, verse 22. Then said Jesus to them again, uh, peace be unto you as my father sent me, send I you. And when he said this, he did what? Said he breathed on them and said what? Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Now, let's debate it just for a minute. Let's talk about it. If they received the Holy Spirit in John 20 before Pentecost, but he told them to tarry until he sent the promise of his Father upon them, and that didn't come till Pentecost, then what happened in John 20? Are you with me? Do you follow my thinking here? If John 20 was the receiving of the Holy Spirit as it's talked about in Acts, in John 20, then why did he tell them to wait until the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost, the promise of the Father, would come upon them? He said, when it does, you'll receive power. But he said in John 20, he said what? You know what I think happened in John 20? You can think what you want about this. It's just my personal opinion. I believe on, in John chapter 20, I believe that a glorified Jesus who came to give life to his disciples. After he was resurrected, he came back and gave life to this new bunch. These are the first people that ever got saved, as we know it. How many of you believe that a man's sins could be forgiven by God because of the price Jesus paid? Now think about what you said. There's some theology in here, but it's good for you to think about it. What about all them Old Testament folks? Could their sins be washed away without Jesus' sacrifice? Okay. Then when Jesus was raised from the dead, then redemption became a fact. The atonement was completed when he was raised from the dead, right? And all those people that had died, I believe he went and, and said, I am he that you prophesied about, you wrote about, and what do they call Abraham's bosom? There he is. This is he, and he, as Peter said, he preached to those that were down there, and he took them to heaven. Graves were open. People saw them. They went to heaven. It was proof. Now, he comes back to his disciples, and he goes, receive ye the Holy Spirit. But now tarry in the city of Jerusalem until I send the promise of my Father upon you. He hadn't come yet. What's going on here? Most of the time, we read this and pass by it. See, I believe when Jesus breathed on his disciples divine holy breath, the same thing happened that happened when God created Adam. What happened when God made a human figure, a clay figure? What did he do to it? And what happened to that figure? It was a living soul biologically. Well, these people were already biologically living. What happened to them? It became what I would call spiritually born again. They were changed creatures. It says that he opened their understanding. The point I'm trying to make is these people had not yet received what came on the day of Pentecost. You see, Jesus is a life-giving spirit. Now, that's in 1 Corinthians 15, if anybody ever wanted to look for it. The second Adam, remember that? The first Adam, whew, God breathed in the first Adam, and he became a living soul. The second Adam... Jesus is a life-giving spirit. 
when he breathes on them, and the word breath and spirit are the same words. Holy breath, Holy Spirit. When he breathed on them, he breathed life into them. And I believe they were new creatures. They became different. None of them ever turned back. They were new people. And he said, now, you're mine. For as many as received him, to them gave he the authority to be his children. And he told his children, now you tarry in the city of Jerusalem until I send the promise of my father upon you. Because when he comes, you shall receive power to live an effective life. It'll never be a dormant, passive life. It'll always be active, always under the control of God. In fact, when he baptizes you in the Holy Spirit, or when you receive the Holy Spirit, put it that way, it'll be like a seal. Pop. Ephesians 1, you will be sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And that'll be the claim that God makes on your life for the rest of your life. And I believe these signs shall follow those who believe, and one of those signs is they shall speak in new tongues. And that is an evidence that will follow them, stay with them, and be active in them the rest of their life. And these, this is the claim that God makes on his people. This Holy Ghost experience on the day of Pentecost was a New Testament experience, prophesied in the old, but it came forth in the new. Now let me remind you of something I said last week. I said, in the New Testament, they were born again, they were baptized in water, and then, are you still in Acts? Go back to the 19th chapter of Acts. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, found certain disciples, and he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since what? Since you believe. That must be subsequent. And they said, we haven't even heard of what the Holy Ghost is about. He said, well, then what were you baptized into? And he said, John's <coughs> baptism, and so on and so forth. But the question is, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? You believe first. When you believe, you get new life. The second Adam is a life-giving spirit. If you have not, Romans 8 says, you have not the spirit of Christ, you're not even his. He makes his claim on you. You become his child. Now, as his child, there is a life he wants you to live, which you cannot live without his spirit guiding the affairs of your life. You can't. Lots of people are trying. The best they can do is programs and buildings, but ineffective spiritually. But he says, when the Holy Ghost comes, you're setting yourself up for great persecution in a hostile world, but this will test, separate the sheep from the goats and the good from the bad. And so he said that you receive the Holy Spirit. It's a significant experience. It was a thing they talked about all the time. It was subsequent to the new birth. You were born again first, and then you received the Holy Spirit. It was supernatural. Man couldn't make it happen. The guy in Acts chapter 8 tried to do it, and he couldn't because it was supernatural. When God baptizes a person in the Holy Spirit or when somebody receives the Holy Spirit, it's something significant and special and supernatural that happens to that person. You can't duplicate it. You can duplicate the evidence because they, they spoke in tongues. And people have tried to imitate that and duplicate that for years, and they got by with it. And I think many people in the church can do that, but have never received the Holy Spirit. Now, they can jabber because somebody taught them how. 
or they imitated somebody else. We'll get to that in a minute. But there will be a sign that accompanies the coming of the Holy, the Holy Spirit. And I asked you last week in closing, who was this experience for? And we read in Acts chapter 2, for all as many as God shall call, as he calls you, those who believe, he said, they shall receive. They shall receive. Let me say this again, in case somebody's taking notes. There's a specific reason that God sent the Holy Spirit and that it was accompanied with, with speaking in tongues. That very fact will eliminate most people from ever wanting it because they care more about their reputation and what people say about them than they do about doing God's work. But they can imitate it. They can have a form of godliness and deny the power of it because the power of godliness is in the life that the Holy Spirit gives you to live. Now, you can act like you're living a life because you can do deeds and things, but you can't live on the level that God wants you to live. You're just kidding yourself if you think you can. There's a lot of opposition to the Holy Spirit, but remember this too. In John 7, you've got to remember this, a key verse I said last week. On the great day of the feast, Jesus cried out and said, If any man thirsts, remember this in John 7, 38 and 39, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He said, For out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Belly means your innermost being, out of your core, out of the, the real you. That part of you that God saves. Out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And then you know what he said in the next verse? This spake he of the Holy Spirit who was not yet given because he was not yet glorified. His disciples were the first ones. And he told them when he breathed on them, he said, now, he said, I open your understanding. They opened their understanding. They, were, they had things they'd never had before. I mean, it was amazing. On the day of Pentecost, Peter started quoting the Bible like he'd wrote it or something. It just stuff came out because that's what the Holy Ghost does. And when the Holy Spirit comes, they, were, they, became, they became what we needed them to be and to read about the things that they did so that we can know this is what God does to a man who's filled with the Spirit. And I say filled with the Spirit, I mean to a person who has received the Holy Spirit. And most all Christians today, almost all churchgoers, will confess and tell you that they received the Holy Spirit because they were baptized in water and they believe in God, so therefore they have received the Holy Spirit, but there's no evidence. Very little evidence. Again, they are as weak as they ever were, as whining as they ever were, as negative as they ever were, as indifferent and lazy as they ever were. Nothing really changed. Oh, I got the Holy Ghost. Well, if there was such a thing as you having the Holy Ghost, I wonder if he has you. Because you see, your life changes. You're not the same person that you used to be. Now, I want to talk tonight by asking this question. What is the evidence of the Holy Spirit? I mean, when he comes, how can we know? Is it elated joy? Is it that warm, fuzzy feeling that we get? Is it the sheer excitement of the moment? Woo, 
oh, I never felt like it. Is that what it is? I mean, we need to know. We cannot just accept somebody's testimony of a particular experience and assume that was what the Holy Spirit was because it might add that to it, but there's got to be something more to it than that. Now, how did they know on the day of Pentecost? On the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, you might as well go to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, the day was fully come. They were in one accord in one place. And there came a sound from heaven. This is the only time this happened. Like a mighty rushing wind. And the Bible said there were tongues of fire that set upon the heads of each of them. Let me get back there so I can read exactly right. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Now, we read nowhere else in the Bible of this happening like that, this particular thing. So this is not what we're looking for. This happened on the day of Pentecost. But let's see what else happened. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. We haven't read that anywhere else in the Bible. So we, we need more than that because this was the only experience that that happened with. And verse 4, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And Peter began to hear these men. There were all kinds of men in Jerusalem at that time in different dialects, languages. And these disciples were able to speak in that language or that dialect that so that all the different people there could understand them in their own language. And th this had never happened. This was a phenomenon that had never happened. Suddenly, you got on this day of Pentecost, this most special day in history. Something unique happened that had never happened before. Predicted, prophesied, but it hadn't happened, but it did on this day. And these who were followers of Jesus began to speak in the languages that the people around there could understand. And they thought, what is the meaning of this? I mean, didn't they say in one of those verses there, what meaneth this in verse 12? At the end of the verse, can you see it? So what did Peter say this meaneth? He gave them a scripture from the book of Joel. And he quotes it. Peter quotes it right, too. I mean, he gets it all, all these things right. So you know these guys were students, or else this understanding the Holy Spirit gives enable them to quote the Bible like this. But in quoting the book of Joel, if you don't mind, and I know you don't, would you find the book of Joel? It's back in the cleanest pages towards the end of the Old Testament. Hosea, Joel, Amos. After Daniel, if you can find Daniel, you're close. Hosea, Joel. When you get to Joel chapter 2, here's what Peter was quoting, an Old Testament verse. Joel chapter 2 and verse 28 through 31. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. That's got to be good. Your young men shall see visions. 
And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out of my spirit. And during those days, you've got to remember this too. In, in, the, in the Bible, the last days begin on Pentecost. That was the beginning of the end. Everything led up to that. That was the zenith. And then it, from there on, after this, after this, in those days, saith the Lord, in the last days, saith the Lord, and so forth. And he adds to that. He said, I will show signs. I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon. Now, there's a time when that's going to happen too. But all of this is afterward. After I send my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters and so forth shall prophesy. And I go back to Acts chapter 2. And Peter began in verse 14. He lifted up his voice and he said, these folks aren't drunk like you suppose. It's too early in the day for that. But he begins in verse 16 and following, he begins to quote what we just read to define what had just happened. Would you agree with me then that what happened on the day of Pentecost was in fulfillment of Joel chapter 2 and verse 28? God poured out his spirit, but he said he would. So this was the fulfillment of that prophecy. Now, Go back to the Old Testament again to Isaiah chapter 28. Now, that's easier to find. That's in the middle, right in the middle, Isaiah 28 and verse 11 and 12. Boy, there's so much in here, but it's a little cloudy yet for most people. Like in verse 9, can I have five minutes to do this? Thank you. It is so necessary for God's people to know what they're doing. And yet they cannot know what should be done unless they know what God gives them to know. There are a lot of things that we can know as a church. We can learn a lot of things and do a lot of things, but only some things are right. Now, what seems to be good may not be good for you right now. For there is a knowledge that Christians ought to have about God and his way that makes them sensitive to God and his ways. The more he teaches us, the more it has an effect upon us and how we listen. Listen to this in verse 9. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Who? Them that are weaned from milk, that draw from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, and precept upon precept, and line upon line, and line upon line, and here a little and there a little. Is it just a legal form of religion? This is the way we do it, and this is the way it ought to be done. That's the way we've always done it. How can they learn anything? They figured it out the way they want it figured out. That's the way they do. It dies. It's just dead. It exists. It's just like the Jewish religion. It just existed. They sacrificed. They did all that stuff, but it was dead. In the last days, he said, I will pour out my spirit. And everything from then until the very end of time will change because of the day of Pentecost. We're here today because of the day of Pentecost. I mean, what happened there has affected us and will continue to affect us until we're gone or until he comes. Listen to what he said after those words in Isaiah, precept upon precept, this dry, dead religion. He said in verse 11, for with stammering lips... And another tongue will he speak to this people. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. He quotes that same thing in your Bible in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 14, the tongues chapter. Go over there, 1 Corinthians 14. 
Look in verse 21, talking about tongues. For with stammering lips in another tongue will I speak to this people. Yet for all of this, this new way that God is speaking to the ones who can listen and who will listen. He said the others would not. They didn't want part of it. They don't today. They didn't then. They don't today. They want a part of this. In fact, if you speak in tongues today, and especially if you have a little concrete church, you're typical of what the big church with all the pizzazz, all the pizzazz, whatever you call it, they look down on little stuff like us. Bless their hearts. They're just an emotional bunch of people out there in the corner of town. And they somehow feel like if they speak in tongues, then somehow they're serving God. <laughs> That's the kind of degrading view that people have of those who have received the Holy Spirit. And they themselves, and I'll say it, they themselves are destitute. They just don't know it. Their eyes are covered over and they can't see. Somebody has misled them and they have swallowed the hook, line, and sinker. They have become socially proper and all of that. And they're well looked upon by the community and all of that. People admire them. And they look at us like, you know, we're just some kind of an inferior breed of Christianity. But when it comes down to the end, the ones that were rejected are the ones that Christ will have accepted. There's a price you will pay now, but you'll be so glad you cashed in if you hold on. But he said this. He said, to those whom he will speak to with stammering lips, he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. But they would not. This was God's new way of imparting to people his way to do things. He said, you not only know him, this comforter, he said, you not only know him, he is with you, and he shall be in you. Been many people in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Judges, who were said to be filled with the Spirit. But all that was telling us was they had a special unction or anointing to do certain things, to make the utensils for the temple, to tear down the pillars in Samson's time, to lead an army, to prophesy. But never had a man received the indwelling Holy Spirit. For Jesus was not yet glorified, but when he was glorified, you could. And he said, now you tarry in the city of Jerusalem until when? Until I send the promise of my Father upon you. Now he said, when he comes, you'll do something that hadn't been done before, prophesied, stammering lips. So they said, what meaneth this? This is what God promised was going to happen, and nobody wanted to hear it. They still don't. They don't today. They don't want to hear it. But this was how, on the day of Pentecost, when they spoke in tongues, Peter said, this is what they're talking about. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. You're seeing it right in front of you, and people look at it today and say, I don't want any part of that. In the same book of Acts, look at chapter 10, verse 45 and 46. Those Jews that came with Peter when he went to the house of Cornelius, while he was speaking, it says the Holy Spirit fell. Is that still in there? Verse 44. 
The Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed, those of the Jews, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. How did they know they had received the same thing that they had received on the day of Pentecost? How did the Jews know that the Gentiles had the same thing? For they heard. What did they hear? You don't have to say it. I'll say it for you. They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Look in chapter 11. Peter got in trouble with all the Jews at Jerusalem. They called him in in verse 1 and 2 with contentions. What do you mean going to the Gentiles? Peter rehearsed the vision that God gave him about the unclean, the you know, food came down and his call to go over there and all of that. And he showed them how that God poured out his spirit. And verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us. When? At the beginning. What was the beginning? The day of Pentecost. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Who baptized them with the Holy Ghost? Jesus did. I have a baptism to be baptized with. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And it happened. And they didn't receive it. Now, the Jews here did. They gladly, they said, well, praise God. He's given the Gentiles the same thing that he gave us. And then we got to Acts chapter 19, where we started 20 years later, probably, in the book of Acts. Another 20 years down the road, he found certain disciples, and he's still talking about it. Have you all received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they said, we even heard of it. So he explained to them what was going on. That was, I mean, he was a fireball. But he was simply a human vessel like you and I. He just had a drive in him, and, and he had no restraints. He held back nothing. And God could put the pedal to the metal in his life and send him wherever he wanted, just like Philip. Didn't matter where you send me. Doesn't matter what it costs. Doesn't matter what price I pay. I don't even belong to myself anymore. I've been bought with a price, and God put himself in me in a most special, unique way. I know I belong to Christ, but when he added to that this power, what a life. What a life. They stoned him. They beat him. They did all these things to him, and all he could do was rejoice. They couldn't stop it. That was the power to live a life that most Christians today would dread thinking they had to live anywhere close to that. It's almost like there is a, there's a quenching today of the Spirit. We're told not to do that, but you can. We can't be led of the Spirit because we're afraid of what he, where he's going to lead us. And yet, he's taught us we don't have to be afraid, but we're still afraid. People still whine and people still cry. People still complain and people still afraid and all of this. And sometimes you wonder, I do. Not necessarily about you, but if it includes you, then I'll think about you too. What's wrong with y'all? Have you received the Holy Spirit or not? I mean, if you have, shouldn't you be more than what you are? Shouldn't there be something in there that more than what you see in so many others? 
what's restraining him? What's holding him back? It has to be our will. It has to be our will. Oh, boy. But these signs shall follow those who believe. Mark 16. They shall speak with new tongues. One of the signs. Now, if the word tongues is a turnoff, then this won't work for you for what I'm talking about. You're not going to like this. Tongues just happens to be what people do when they receive the Holy Spirit. Four things about that. One, it's an outward evidence. When the Holy Spirit comes, you can tell, you can see it. It's not something that a person on the inside is going, it's not that. That would be outward, though. That's some kind of a demonstration. I remember well that night in the church in the early days of my life when it was so easy to receive the Holy It was so easy. A lady came up, a very, I'd say, dignified, polished lady. She came up one night I was teaching. We taught down on the floor like we're doing here. I had a little music stand and taught our little crowd on Sunday nights. I said, now, if anybody would like to receive the Holy Spirit tonight, you come up and I'll pray for you. and you will. And she came up and, and said, you know, very, very, you know, very, very nice. This lady has some class. I said, yes, uh, what are you here for? She said, I, I want to receive the Holy Spirit. I said, you understand all of the things we said? Yes. I laid hands on her. I said, receive the Holy Spirit. And she said something like, and she looked at me and said, was that it? I said, well, I was... I was expecting a little more. <laughs> I kind of wanted a little gushy stuff. But I said, if you're happy with that, she said, thank you. Went back to her seat. Another fellow, when he received, they prayed for him over at Evangel Tabernacle in Louisville so many years ago, Brother Donnie. And he just started barking like there was a moon and, and he was a dog. He just, <laughs> And I get there, well, I got to laughing. But he didn't know that's what it sounded like, but that's the way he did it. Others have, it's so many different ways, but somebody does something outward and discernible. Secondly, secondly about this receiving the Holy Spirit, it's uniform in its evidence. The same thing. If you're in Russia, if you're in China, if you're in Africa or you're in South America and you receive the Holy Spirit, you will, in all those different places, you will speak in tongues. Amen. That's right. You will. That's the New Testament. Now, if you say, well, no, you don't have to, then you're going to have to add to the book what we can't find. You're going to have to tell me something you've made up to be the gospel You've got to twist this some way to make it so you don't have to. And what you're going to do is corrupt the scripture and corrupt yourself. You doom yourself doing it. You better leave the gospel alone. If it says jump up and down and howl at the moon, you better find you a moon and go to howling. If it says they shall speak with new tongues, then I suggest that's what you look for. And you're not speaking with tongue because somebody said, go, Sheila Bala Kalabamolo. And you say, Sheila Kalabamolo. Have I got it? No. I doubt very seriously you have it. All you did was say what I said. 
It's more than that. It's between you and God. It's something he gives, not something I gave. I used to really press real hard to get people to just, come on, come on, come on. And, and the last few years, I think, look, God's bigger than my come-ons. If they're really hungry, if you're really wanting to receive the Holy Spirit, I'll pray for you. But God's going to have to do all the doings. You'll have to open your mouth. You can't get filled with the Spirit going, I want to see the Holy Spirit. No, you can't do that because your mouth is what he's going to use to evidence it. But it's universal. Because everywhere you go, it's going to be the same thing. It's supernatural. It comes from God. Now, again, you can imitate this because you can make sounds, uh, unintelligible sounds, and call that tongues. You can do that. You can imitate prophecy. Some have tried to imitate miracles. They try to imitate all of this because that's, that's how you get recognition. But when God does it, it is always supernatural. It's outward evidence. It's uniform evidence. It's universal evidence everywhere. It's tongues. If you ran into a charismatic Russian and had a translator, you say, have you received the Holy Spirit? Oh, yes. How do you know? I, I speak with tongues. Or however how they would say it, in Russia. They would, they would tell you. That's what you do. And yet... Just as the Bible said about these stammering lips, but they didn't want to hear it, they still don't want to hear it today. But, you know, God is going to make sure they have a chance. But the only ones that are going to receive it are his own. And with them, he does that Ephesians 1, 12 and 13 and 14, he seals them with the Holy Spirit of promise. And that follows them the rest of their life. Now, in closing tonight, let me give you five reasons why we speak in tongues. I'm not talking about as the initial outpouring to know that we have received, but the purpose of tongues. Why did God give us tongues? If these antis would know this, they wouldn't be so anti. All tongues is is a bunch of gibberish. Well, now, it's more than that. Let me show you. Number one, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 2. Something there that everybody in this room could use a whole bunch of. How's that? 1 Corinthians 14. It is a divine, supernatural means of communing with God. It is a supernatural means of communicating or talking or praying to God. He said in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 2, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, now that was added by the translators, but we'll, we'll use it. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue, because on the day of Pentecost they were known, but they're also unknown tongues, because they're tongues of men and angels. So there's two different, they're divers kinds. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. However, in the spirit, he speaketh mysteries. Now, let me ask you a question. How much of divine secrets, what the word mysteries means, how much of divine secrets does the devil know? I don't think he knows any of them. How can he interrupt your prayer or how can he fight an answer to your prayer if he doesn't know what you're praying? 
I'm not speaking to men. I'm speaking to God. I'm, it's not a gift that's given to the church to edify the church. He said, he that speaketh in a tongue speaketh not to men. It's just prayer language. He speaks to God. No man understands him. Howbeit in the spirit, he speaks mysteries, divine secrets. I would think the devil would hate for you to do this. Because here you are praying in the spirit always according to the will of God. Can't miss it. You can't be misled praying in the spirit. You can't pray amiss when you pray in the spirit because the spirit's praying. He's using you, but he's speaking. Look in verse 4. The second thing here, the purpose of tongues is to edify yourself. Verse 4, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. Now, none of you need that. You're all so edified and so built up and brought forth spiritually. You don't need any of this. You need to give some of it away. You got so much of it. Now, that's not true, is it? I'm not looking at a soul in this room. And if I could see them out there in the world, if they're there, I'm not seeing a soul that doesn't need, need this. Sad thing about it is the only people that can experience this are those that have received the Spirit. If you hunger for it enough, you can get it. Most people just satisfied with what little they have, and they don't want that. Because they assume somebody told them, oh, you've got that anyway. That was for that. That was for another time. We don't need that today. We don't. We don't need to be edified today. You know something? The need for edification has passed away. He that speaketh in a tongue speaks not to men. He speaks to God. In verse 14, he said, he that speaketh in a tongue edifies himself. Didn't he say that? Now, he goes on talking to this Corinthian church. He said, you know, when you come into church and everybody's here, it's better for you to prophesy than it is to just sit there and speak in tongues. Now, unless, he goes on to say, unless you can interpret, because then when you interpret what is said in the Spirit, then it's the same as prophecy. But prophecy is what we need because that's, that's when God speaks in a language we all understand, and it's instruction. It's instructive or informative. But he said, he that speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Do you need to be edified? Let me tell you something that I know. For all of our sakes, there is entirely too much whining and complaining and negative thoughts and negative ways, too many foolish and ignorant phone calls and too much stupidity on Facebook and all that stuff that you don't need and you shouldn't have. You pray in the Spirit. You edify yourself up. You don't fall to that level. Y'all don't, and whoever else is listening does. You don't go to that level. You're different when the Holy Spirit comes because he prompts you. He prompts you to spend time with him. If you're a charismatic, as we call it, hopefully not a charismatic, but if you're a charismatic, if you receive the Holy Spirit, you ought to do it every day. You ought to do it all the time. What was it Paul said in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 14? He said, I thank God I'm more tolerable of tongues talkers than you all are. Now, see, you all should stop me and tell me that ain't what he said. He said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than y'all. Did he speak in tongues? Yeah, now, he said, you know, what I do is more or less between me and the Lord. Because I need to be edified. I'm busy. 
I'm busy. There's things that God wants me to do. I, I need to be strong enough and edified enough to do it. I can't fall on my face and live a weak life. But I don't have to because I've got a source I can tap into that I can be edified and built up. I don't have to be weak. I do not have to be downtrodden and fearful and afraid and whining and complaining. And I don't know. I don't have to do that. Somebody in me already has the answers. Turn to Jude 20. Look at Jude 20, building up yourselves. Jude chapter 1, I'm sorry, Jude chapter 1 and verse 20. Building up yourselves. There's that word edify again, okotomy. Building up yourselves. It's like building a house. Taking something that's just, well, it sticks and making a house. Building. It's a progress. Something's going on. I'm becoming more than what I was. I'm becoming something I have not yet been. I'm being built up. And of all things that God says, you do this, pray in tongues. That ugly word that the church hates to hear. That's how God has ordained one of the ways for us to be built up. And if we're built up, then we read the book of Ephesians, we're the ones who build each other up. But I can't build you up if I'm not built up, and thus, that's where the church is today. How can we build each other up if we need to be built up all the time? I'm just a poor, a weak mouthy, poor little old something, dragging myself to church if I want to go. What testimony is that? Is that the lead? Listen to me. Is that the leading of the Holy Spirit? You can't tell me that's a spirit-led life. It is not. And if I'm talking to me and you and all of us tonight, if we're sitting around fearful and afraid and complaining, I'm talking about just grumbling, complaining. With all this book and all of its power, sitting around complaining and fearful, what would happen? We're going to talking like, like that. And we're supposed to be the receptacles of the Holy Spirit? And this is all we got? Somebody's not spending much time with God. Somebody's not. We do a whole lot better than what we're doing. If nothing more than put a smile on your face, turn your frown upside down, and live like you got something that you're never going to let go of. And when they smack you on one cheek, well, I can turn the other one. He's going to take care of me. Amen. I may be tested and proven, and we all have been. We all are. But Jude 20 says, you build up yourself like this. You build up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Does your Bible say that? Amen. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. You ought to read commentaries on what, how they try to explain that. Praying in the Holy Ghost explains itself. Can you put your finger, keep it in Jude, and go back to 1 Corinthians 14? Thank God for fingers. 1 Corinthians 14. Let me tell you what praying in the Spirit is. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 2. We read a while ago. He that speaketh in a tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understands him. How be it in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Let me ask you a question. He that prays in a tongue speaks in the Spirit, doesn't he? Then if I pray in tongues, 
then I'm praying in the Spirit. Now, the Bible defines that for me. In the same book, in the same 1 Corinthians 14, look at verse 14. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, what's praying? If I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying. My understanding is unfruitful. Like people have said, well, why would you want to pray like that? How do you know what you're saying? I'm not talking to myself. I'm talking to God. Listen to me. Back to Jude 20, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. I have to believe. When I'm driving down the road by myself and I'm praying in tongues, I have to believe that the nail is being hit square on the head. And the more I exercise myself like that, believing in acting and doing this, this is what God wanted, I'm being built up. There's got to be a reason why faith is not working. I'm not saying this is the reason. It is one of the reasons because people who call themselves spirit-filled almost never pray in tongues. They say they got it when they first got up off their knees or wherever they were when they said, I received the Holy Spirit, and they haven't spoke 30 minutes in 15 years in tongues. Now, how can things go right for you? We're no different than the folks at some other place. This is something you do all the time. Spirit of God is never complacent. He has a jealous yearning for your life to make sure that you live in such a way as he guides you that at the end of your journey, you're not only blessed, but there's fruit that follows you and there's a reward that comes from your father. He leads you like this. You got to be strong to live this way, but when you're not strong, he's, he's made a way that you can be strong. And yet Christians are some of the weakest, whiningest people you ever saw. They talk about their problems, their ills, their, their fears and what I don't have. And I, they talk like that all the time. Wives talk to her, you know, I, and he, men, and, and the kids. It's like nobody's ever been filled with the Spirit. It's like there's no evidence of that filling. Well, I spoke with tongues. I don't know that you did or not. I'm not sure you did. Because I believe just as a person is born again and there's a change in your life, when you put the turbocharger on top of that, I believe you're different. I believe your life takes on a whole new meaning and direction. We're supposed to be a full gospel charismatic church. And we struggle way, way too much. There I said it. That's the way it is, and it should not be because we have a way given to us by God himself by means of the employment of his Holy Spirit to be built up to the place where we can overcome all this stuff. Well, you really can turn the radio off and listen to all that negative. When you can turn the tube off, when you can turn the computer off, where there is something in you that drives you to greater things and stuff like that. You don't let all this junk begin to control your thinking and your life. You see things going on in life. You're driving down the road. You start praying for people in the spirit. You don't know how to pray as you ought because Romans 8 is next. Turn to Romans 8. You don't know how to pray as you should. Romans 8. A fourth reason. Because you can pray always in God's will in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 through 28. 
Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Now, that doesn't mean sicknesses. That means weaknesses, inabilities. He helps us. We're not all that we should be. We need to be weak because when we're weak, we're strong. But he said, he helps our weaknesses for we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, there's a lot made about the groanings which cannot be uttered. The point I want you to see is it is the work of the Holy Spirit to intercede for us. There are times in your life you don't know how to pray for things as you should. I do not believe the Holy Spirit puts you aside and prays. He uses you. It'll be your mouth and your tongue, and it'll be the words that he gives, but in this way he maketh intercession. You don't know how to pray for things as you should. You got a phone call. You're in a situation, money, financial, physical, mental, church, a need, an opportunity. If I pray in English, like 14, Romans 14, I pray in the Spirit and I pray in English or in, in, with my understanding. And I pray with my understanding sometimes. And sometimes I think, well, how do I pray for this or that? You give me people to pray for. Sometimes you all want us to pray for people. We don't know much about them, but the best we can do is pray in the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is to lead us into the prayer that we have to pray. We got to trust God that this is what's going on, that as we pray in the Spirit, we're praying exactly according to God's will, and his results are going to come to pass. I don't know what they are, but he does, so I pray. That's my role. God uses people. God uses us. God inspires us. He uses us. He works through us. He causes us to pray, and then he answers our prayers. That's the way it works. If he didn't need us, he wouldn't, why would he do any of this? Oh, he doesn't need anything, but the way his plan is for us, this is the way he works. He uses people. He uses people to save people. How can they preach except they be sent? He uses people to lay hands on people. Who's he going to use? Somebody that can't make their way through life day at a time without breaking down? No, no. No, we go to church. If we're all kind of in a grumbly down in the alley mood, are the gifts going to flow? Why would they? I can't imagine. There's something being offered for us tonight. For you who profess to have received the Holy Spirit, God is speaking to us tonight, offering you a chance to have your eyes open, to be regenerated, to be fired up again, to grab yourself by the back of your neck and take yourself to your prayer place and say, you're going to pray in the Spirit. Then you get through praying, you can sing in the Spirit. We about to quit doing that. Just given the liberty that the Spirit wants in our life so that the very accurate will of God can be spoken through our lips. You can't miss it that way. You just can't miss it that way. And groaning. I don't want to make a lot out of groaning or sighing. Jesus sighed and groaned. Remember at the tomb of Lazarus in John 11 and verse 33. Jesus groaned in spirit. 
there was something there that the, the word groaned has to do with agitation. It's something stirring. And he was there maybe not knowing what to say. I don't know. I wasn't there. But the Bible says he groaned in spirit. And the spirit helpeth our weaknesses by doing similar things with us, if we're willing to go that far. If we're backing off a lot, folks, we're not going to experience anything that we read about in the Bible. All we're going to do is write books on why don't these things happen. The battle's not in the living room. The battle's in the world. And finally, Ephesians 6. Turn to that and we'll stop. Another reason we pray in the Spirit is so we can win the battles of life. We've been talking about them. Ephesians 6 and verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Praying with supplication. That is, your petitions brought to God. Is it possible that, that I could say, I want to pray tonight for Annabelle? Annabelle Kinsey, my little granddaughter. Just somehow, let's say, she's put on your heart something just uniquely special, or just some things, just a little special thing. And so you start praying, well, Lord, what, why, why is she on my heart all of a sudden? And then you're prompted by the Spirit. You learn to be sensitive. So I want you to pray for her in the Spirit. Now, we've come to the place, but at this time, I say, Why? He that knows the mind of the Spirit knows what the will of God is. Just do what the Spirit of God tells you to do. And this little girl is going to receive something at an early age that she doesn't know a thing about, or her parents, or her grandparents, or her aunt. But she's going to get something special because God just inspired you to pray. You don't know what to pray, but you know how. So you pray in the Spirit for her. Could I name somebody and say, Lord, I want to pray for Marsha in the Spirit? Could I do that and then start praying? Yeah. I sure can. It's my supplication, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know what she needs. I don't know how to pray about a lot of y'all. I've been through this church many times, touching every aisle, praying for everybody that sits in there, praying in tongues. If somebody stranger had walked in here, they would have called the police, I guess. I've been taught to do that. I have been trained to do that. I have found in early in my life and discovered there's power in that because God answers those prayers. Amen. And he said in Ephesians 6, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Watch and pray. Should we pray for each other in the spirit? Woo, I covet your prayers if you haven't quit. If y'all haven't quit praying in the spirit, please pray for me. If you need practice, practice with me. You say, I'm way behind good. Put my name, say, Lord, I'm going to pray for Brother Hamilton. And then just, ever how you do it, whatever way you pray, you just let her go. I appreciate that. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we give thanks to you tonight for your spirit. For the little gleam of light that shines under the door, which seems to beckon us to open that door and go to the other side and discover things we've never seen but should have discovered. There's a different kind of life that we can live, that we haven't lived. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that, that we will find the truth in our heart about the Holy Spirit and would yield daily to him. And pray daily in the Spirit for each other, for whatever you put on our hearts. 
for our lost loved ones, members of our family, problems we see in the church, problems we see in the world that we have faith for. I pray that we can all build up ourselves on our most holy faith like you said so that the things we struggle with can be the things we conquer. Heavenly Father, these are your people. They are the sheep of your pasture. They are not mine. They're yours. And I ask in the name of Jesus for a freshness to come upon us as a congregation that your spirit would be poured out in a special way to reignite us, get us turned on again if we ever have been. If we've never been, then do it. And Lord, for all those who desire to be filled with the spirit, I ask you to fill them each one and so they can testify to us about it and not hide that experience. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Now, folks, God is good. And there is nothing to hold anybody back in this church from being what you need to be from what you can be. Not a thing but yourself and an indifference. Amen.